Welcome to Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop, where you'll find the unique, the bizarre, and sometimes the haunted. Feel free to look around, peruse the items, and never fear. There's nothing here that bites. Hard, anyway. <laughs> ah, hello there. How enrapturing it is to see you return to Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop on this sacred day of days. All Hallows' Eve is a very special time here at the shop, for it is that special time of year when the veil between the world of the living and the world of the dead is at its thinnest, and when spirits roam the earth to make merry, to make mischief, or to make revenge the order of the day. It is a time best described in the words of Peter Steele of Typo Negative, a time where fall fires burn neath black twisted boughs, sacrifice to above. Smoke swirling quickly towards misting clouds, offering of this blood into the flames and without shame, consumed with howls and screams, pumpkins grin in their despair on all Hallow's Eve. And on this third annual Halloween special at Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop, we have a lineup of things both frightful and fun. So without further ado, welcome to Odds Bodkin's Halloween special. <laughs> so it's hard to believe that this is the third year we've done a Halloween special. I don't think we've done one as as official as this. I think we've just done, in the past couple of years, we've done probably the episode closest to Halloween and just kind of tagged that as the Halloween special. But I think this is the first time we've done a Halloween special specifically on Halloween, which I think that's probably how we're going to do it from here on out for as long as I do this podcast. Hopefully it is for, for many, many years to come. But uh, I... I Love the idea of celebrating all things Halloween with some of the things I really love about Halloween. Some of the some of the new things out there, some of the old things out there. And this Halloween special kind of has a mixture of both. We're going to talk about a new Halloween special from American Horror Stories. We're going to be talking about a couple of my favorite anthology Halloween movies. And we're going to be talking about a new album that's come out that is perfect for your Halloween party. So a lot to talk about. And first up, we're going to talk about a quick review on the new Huluween special American Horror Stories. Uh, it's kind of acting as a third season, although in... Years past, I mean, the American Horror Stories anthologies had seven, eight episodes. I think the first season was seven episodes. Second season was eight episodes. This is only four episodes, and they're treating it like a, a Halloween special. Uh, I don't know whether because of the writer's strike they had to cut uh, a third season short, but I do like the idea of, you know, doing a, a short four-episode 
anthology special for, for Halloween, and I, I like the idea of it. And American Horror Stories, uh, much like the, the main series, American Horror Story, it has had its hits and misses over the, the past couple years. Now, there are some really good stories in American Horror Stories, the anthology series, but then there are some really bad ones. Last season, I felt had more bad than good. So I was really looking forward to this little short season three Huluween special to kind of right the ship and, and get back on track. And while I don't think there were any bad episodes in this little four episode mini season, there weren't any great episodes. I think all of them were okay. But I'll give you my quick thoughts on all of these episodes in American Horror Stories Season 3, their Huluween special. Episode number one was Bestie, directed by Max Winkler. It was a pretty good episode to kick off. I really liked the, the idea that... This delved into, and, and like American Horror Story and like a lot of the American Horror Stories anthology segments, it, it really delves into some sort of issue. Uh, sometimes I think American Horror Story and, again, the horror stories from these anthology uh, seasons uh, spend a little too much time trying to find a cause to champion instead of just being scary. And I think if they would focus on the story over the the issue that they're trying to bring to light, I think you'd find some of these stories working a little better. But like I said, this season didn't have bad stories. And I don't even think it was because they were trying to champion some sort of issue. I think just it was it was very so-so writing. But Bestie was an interesting one. It delved into toxic friendships, toxic online influences. You had the girl Shelby meeting the, the girl Bestie online, which uh, Shelby played by Emma Holling. Bestie played by Jessica Barden, which uh, I was really glad to see her show up in this because I haven't seen her in a while. I mean, she was really good in The End of the Effing World. I liked her in Penny Dreadful. So she's done some things I've really enjoyed her in. And you really really wouldn't know it was her because the makeup on this character bestie was just out of sight i mean they gave this character such a, a horrific look and and i think that's one of the other interesting that plays into uh you know what is beauty and where is beauty you have this girl who is deformed because uh, you know at least according to her in this story which she's not very reliable given the fact that things turn out the way they do but uh you know she she looks the way she does because her mother did drugs and you really sympathize with her at first how sweet she is to Shelby and in, in spite of of how she looks and she could be hard and cold and angry with the world and angry with society and all that but she's uh it seems like a real sweetheart until you get on the inside and and that I think is a an interesting look at you know where the where true ugliness lies it's not necessarily on the outside it is always uh, on the inside and and it's that ugliness on the inside is the most important ugliness to watch out for and and I think this was a a really good episode in the fact that it, it played into the themes that it was trying to play into probably better than most of these 
episodes. It was directed very well. Uh, the only thing it was it was quite predictable. Uh, the whole issue with with River after Shelby and Bestie split ways, and then River comes in, and and I just had a feeling that he was being manipulated by Bestie as well, and she got him to draw Shelby in, and that's exactly how it played out. I like the episode. I I, I like the characters. I even like the story. I just thought they could have done a little more to make the twist one not seen from a mile away and two they could have made the story and and the things that happened in a little more complexity to it that's one thing about this season is every story and i think that's why every story is okay and not great is because every story is very simplistic and very straight lined in their storytelling there's no real twist or turns you can see where it's going and there are no real surprises. But this one, kind of like Tapeworm, really played like an American Horror Stories anthology entry. I mean, those two, Bestie and Tapeworm, I thought really felt like American Horror Stories stories. Now, Daphne, episode number two, it felt like a Black Mirror episode because it dealt with not-too-distant future technology. We're, like, I think seven years removed from COVID in this, and another pandemic has has happened. There's another lockdown. There's some future technology with this AI assistant. And this episode really delved into a, a lot of different avenues. I mean, it delved into dependence on technology. It delved into COVID and AI fear-mongering, how much, you know, everyone's afraid of pandemics and they're afraid of AI is going to take their job. It also delved into the mental health issues that arise from being locked down. And they didn't touch any of this in a very preachy way, but it just kind of brought a lot of these issues to the forefront and set the table with a lot of these issues where you have this uh, AI uh, entity voiced by Gwyneth Paltrow. I thought she did a really good job. This AI falls in love with Reed Scott's character. You think the AI is killing people, but then at the end it, it, you're left with, is it, was it the AI? Was it Reed Scott's character? And I think ultimately in the end, I, that was probably the only twist in this series that I think worked. Not that you couldn't see it coming, but it was an interesting open-ended ending that left you wondering, was it the AI? Was it Reed Scott's character? And I think it was because there were so many clues. Once you look back at it, you know, he comes down and there's breakfast set at the table, but uh, the AI couldn't have done that. Human hands had to do that. There are AR glasses that are set on the nightstand beside him and AI couldn't have put those there. A human hand had to. You're seeing this whole thing from his perspective. So even the little light up of the the AI box that it looks like a glass art bowl of some sort, which I thought that that would have probably been a better way to play it to give you a little pause because at the beginning of this, a friend sends him this AI assistant and he has a conversation with them. There's no doubt that this is really AI. What I would have liked to have seen is that all of a sudden he gets this box left on his doorstep with a note from a friend saying, this is your new AI assistant. And he gets it out of the box 
and you never actually see somebody giving it to him. And then I, I think maybe a reveal later that, again, he did it all himself. This is some piece of art glass that he's just calling AI and it was all in his head the whole time. I, I think that would have played better into that. And there at the end, when you see that AI glass box kind of light up, I, you know, I looked at it as you're still looking at it from his perspective and in his mind, there is still this AI that is doing this to him and it's not just some piece of junk glass. I, I thought that would have played a little better. It, it played to that kind of, but I would have liked it as if there was never a Daphne AI assistant at all. It was all in his head. That to me would have been a little darker. It would have played into the madness. You could have still played the what if or, you know, was it real? Was it not real at the end? But uh, I, yeah, I think it's, it's more grisly to think that this was all kind of like Norman Bates, the ending of Psycho, where it was all in his head. His mother's been dead for forever. It was all him the whole time. Now, episode three, Tapeworm, that to me was a, a really interesting episode that I just didn't think went far enough. You have a young model named Vivian who is played by Laura Kariuki. I'm probably butchering that last name and I apologize, but uh, you've seen her in uh, a few things. I mean, she was in several episodes of Black Lightning. She's in the uh, Wonder Years reboot. So uh, there are a couple things that you may have seen her from. She does a good job with this character. I just wish that the whole giving, it didn't take so long to get the tapeworm in her. And then I wish once we got the tapeworm in her, I wish they would have gotten into the horror quicker. Because you spend all this time seeing the emotional uh, decline and the psychological decline of this character, but you have no real sense of the horror growing inside of her. I wish they could have had some some body horror shots of like something moving underneath the skin of her stomach or or something like that to to just give you a better sense of what's growing inside of her other than the notion that something is growing inside of her because she didn't listen to the doctor's orders. And then that scene, and my wife sat down to watch the last part of this episode with me and she caught the scene where the doctor tells her that uh, she's going to take this and she's going to feel things and then this tapeworm is going to leave via the closest exit, which is her anus. And <laughs> my wife is like, I don't want to see that. <laughs> Luckily, we didn't see that. It was all shot waist up, so to speak, in the bathtub. But then once that creature comes out, it was actually pretty pretty gnarly. There wasn't anything too spectacular about the creature design. And the CG, uh, some of the CG was uh, much to be desired. But once that creature is out of her and out into the world, man, that's where things picked up. And where it could have got really creepy and really scary, but then it was over just as quick as it started. And when Vivian's friend Heather comes in, you know what's going to happen. You know the tapeworm is going to go inside of her. And of course, at the very end, we get the reveal that she does, in fact, have this tapeworm inside of her. It was a good episode. I like the idea of it. It really delved into body consciousness, body shaming, that sort of unrealistic expectations of body image and beauty and beauty in women, especially in the modeling world. A lot of good stuff when it comes to 
issues being raised and awareness being raised to issues. Uh, I just wish there was more horror in this. Uh, if you could have taken that horror from that last few minutes of this episode and stretched it out a little longer, I think this would have been a really good episode because it, it had all the elements of a good American Horror Stories story. It, it had the creature. It had, you know, gnarly blood and, and effects and stuff like that. It just... It was over too quick. Then, of course, the last episode, Oregon. Uh, again, another so-so episode. I, I like the idea of it. It was about a guy who had an organ stolen, kind of playing into the that myth that uh, there are groups out there sedating people and stealing their organs. But this, they steal this guy's kidney and then in place put uh, another new organ inside of him which they're going to harvest later and there's this clandestine group of rich people who are buying organs on the black market it was interesting uh it just didn't delve into the horror much it delved into the the detective story of this guy played by Raul Castillo trying to to find out who stole his kidney and put this other organ inside of him, which I suppose is a, a level of horror in and of itself. But I think they could have uh, they could have played it out different. I think it relied too much on the uh, toxic masculinity issue that it was trying to get across. I think it would have been more interesting if it wasn't some sort of sexual desire gland that they're growing inside of him. If it was some sort of creature, or maybe it could have been this gland, but this gland that's experimental and it could have come to life and become a, a creature on its own. I, I just think there are different ways they could have gone with this that would have lent itself more to horror and less to what it was, which was just an okay story. Which I hate to say that because Manny Cotto wrote this episode. He also co-wrote with Brad Falchuk the Daphne episode, which is another episode I liked. It had some problems with it, but I, I did like the episode for what it was. And I believe it was after Daphne. I believe that is where they put up the text in memory of Manny Cotto. And uh, this was something I, I did not realize, and I am i can't believe I missed it. But Manny Cotto passed away earlier this year. Uh, on July 9th, he had pancreatic cancer and lost his battle with that. And I've always been a fan of Manny Cotto everything he's done with American Horror Story and especially with American Horror Stories because he has been a part of some of the best episodes. Some of those early episodes that I absolutely loved, he was a part of them. And not just that, but you know, he was a part of uh, you know, Tales from the Crypt, uh, the Tales from the Crypt Keeper. I believe that was the animated series. He did Outer Limits. He wrote several episodes for Star Trek Enterprise. He wrote several episodes for Dexter, American Horror Stories, and American Horror Story. Uh, just a, a wonderful writer, which, you know, I didn't like everything he did, but he did, again, like I said, a lot of the American Horror Stories stories that I love the most out of these last two and a half seasons. We'll call this third season a half season. He's been behind a lot of those stories and such a, a tragic loss and it was touching to see them uh, saying goodbye to him at the end of one of these episodes and Manny Cotto will be greatly missed. So all in all, American Horror Stories Season 3, this Huluween special kind of four-episode event, was uh, it wasn't bad. It, it just wasn't great and I, I really wanted this to be a redeeming 
a season because, like I said, season two of American Horror Stories just to me wasn't that good. And this one, like I said, didn't have bad episodes like season two did, but just didn't have any great episodes. All the episodes were kind of so-so, very, like I said, straight-lined, and no real surprises in, in any of these. And none of them really took the horror far enough. It felt like they were playing it safe with this. And if they did take it to where it needed to be, it was done and over in a matter of minutes. But I I liked all the acting in it. Most of the acting was pretty good. Uh, there was some acting that was a little eh. But, uh, but I did love in the Bestie episode to see Seth Gable because he was in probably the worst episode of American Horror Stories last year, Milkmaids. He played that Puritan priest that was uh, just an abysmal character, but he just did so much with it. Uh, I, I really liked him in that. To see him as Shelby's father and Bestie was really good, and to see him playing a good guy. Uh, same with Jeff Hiller. I really liked him in American Horror Story NYC, even though I really didn't like the season. It wasn't a horror story. I mean, it was horror in the sense of real life and AIDS, uh, but it, it wasn't an uh, it wasn't American Horror Story horror story but i did like his character the character was kind of one note uh dexter ripoff but i liked him in it as the character i thought he was really interesting and to see him playing a good guy in the bestie episode was was really nice to see that as well so if you haven't had a chance to watch the huluween special american horror stories season three it's definitely worth a watch uh you may enjoy some of these stories better than i did like i said i didn't not like any of them i just wanted more out of a lot of these stories i wanted uh, more complexity more horror more I didn't even need to have blood and guts, even though there was a little bit of that. But I just wanted more uh, creatures, and I wanted more horror, and I wanted more scares out of some of these stories. And some of them lent themselves to having that sort of thing. But check that out. And speaking of checking things out, I said we're going to talk about something new with uh, the American Horror Stories Season 4 Halloween event. Uh, we're also going to be talking about something old. Now, it is that time of year when I love a good scary movie. And for me, Halloween is the perfect time to watch a good horror anthology. You know, American Horror Stories, I wish it could be what some of these other great horror anthologies, uh, Trick or Treat, Tales of Halloween, and these two movies that I, I've not talked about them in the past couple of years, but excellent movies that if you're looking for something to throw on during a Halloween party or a group of your friends just getting together and wanting to, to hang out and watch some horror. These two movies are great because you get horror in little bursts. One more so than other. It is All Hallows' Eve and All Hallows' Eve 2. Of course, All Hallows' Eve came out in 2013, uh, directed, written, edited by Damian Leone, of course, from the Terrifier series. And this was part of the birth of of the Terrifier series. He had that one short film that it had Art the Clown in it and it had the whole thing in the subway station. I don't know if they re-filmed that or did like a truncated version of that to kick off All Hallows' Eve 1, but, uh, but they have that in there as well. And that was one of the things I liked about this. I, I thought it was cool that you know, it's Damien Leone, and he's so known for Terrifier now that all of these stories, and there aren't many of them. There's three 
stories and then kind of a through line wraparound that you get, which is kind of its own story. But all of the stories involve Art the Clown. So, which I, you know, it's it's fun to watch it, having watched Terrifier 1 and 2, and to see kind of this birth of this character and the development of this character and where Damian Leone uh, decided, hey, you know what, I'm going to take this character and make a whole movie out of it. And then a sequel to that movie. But I, one of the things I really like the most about this is the wraparound about this woman who's babysitting these kids on Halloween. They've come back from trick-or-treat and and the one kid gets a VHS tape uh, thrown in his bag. But I, I like the characters. I like uh, Katie McGuire plays Sarah, the main girl. Uh, you really care about this character. She's just a good person. And and you don't want anything to happen to her when it comes to the end. But I, I liked all these stories. Of course, like I said, the first segment was the one in the subway station that gets all crazy with Art the Clown and witches and Satan having his way with somebody without consent. It's It's... It's a, a messed up story, but uh, but it so worked for this. Uh, the second story I thought was really good. A woman moves into a new house, and there's like this alien abduction uh, story. And I like how there's this picture of Art the Clown <laughs> as a centerpiece in this home. Uh, very creepy, and and I like the alien abduction angle of it. I thought it was really good. The suit that the alien is wearing kind of reminded me of the suits that the aliens wear in Fire in the Sky uh, was kind of cool. Then that third segment was a proper Art the Clown. Kind of, you could see in this where Damian Leone would go with the Terrifier series. You know, this felt like a, a Terrifier prequel. And then, of course, that end, that wraparound with the Sarah and the two kids. And I really thought Sarah was going to be killed by Art the Clown when he shows up after the VHS tapes over. And then the revelation that the, the two kids have been decapitated. <laughs> by Art the Clown and her discovering that was just, uh, it was a chilling end to this. Now, All Hallows' Eve 2, I, I almost like this one a little better. This one came out in 2015. Now, this one wasn't directed by Damian Leone. He was actually just a producer on this. So Art the Clown, I don't believe, makes an appearance in this at all. The wraparound is a woman being stalked by some guy in a jack-o'-lantern mask who leaves a VHS tape. Uh, this almost feels like it could be a part of the VHS series, but I think I like this one a little more than All Hallows' Eve 1, only because there are more stories. And, and some of these stories are really short, but they're really impactful, and, and they have a lot of good stories. Now, there's some okay stories in this, but for the most part, I don't think there's a bad one in the bunch, but there are some that I enjoyed most. Uh, Jack Attack, about the pumpkin seeds, uh, the girl, and I don't know if it's her brother or the kid she's babysitting eating these pumpkin seeds and them growing inside there. The, the CG vines was a little bad but but i like the story last halloween was a cool post-apocalyptic grim tale that some of the effects and the the costuming was really good i really like that uh the imagery of this witch devil ghost and grim reaper going around this post-apocalyptic future pretending it's halloween or, or trying to bring back halloween and and all of the dire implications there i thought it's really good the offering was a chilling story father and son 
son driving out to make this offering. The father forgets uh, an important component and essentially sacrifices his son. Uh, I thought that was a, a cold and, and, and chilling story that it... It's one of those stories where you know there's more to it. You would like to hear more of it. You'd like to see more of the story, but you don't need to, to, to really get the the horror of it. Descent was interesting, kind of a play on trauma. I, I wasn't one of my favorites, but it wasn't a bad one. The Masochist was a really short one, but very, uh, very disturbing. Makes you wonder about going and playing carnival games. A Boy's Life was really good. Uh, it, it's one that I don't know what I was expecting. And and part of me was expecting more and didn't get it. But part of me is glad that I didn't get more than we got. I think it was just a, a very chilling tale of grief and, and childhood fears. And some of those childhood fears coming to life in, in different ways. Uh, it was just a really good story. And very, very creepy and, and very touching yet very tragic uh, probably one of my favorite stories of this. Mr. Tricker's Treat was a, another one. Very short, but kind of creepy and and fun in a, a disturbing way. Then Alexia, that, that was one I, I liked it. I didn't love it. Uh, it's all Spanish language and the subtitles, it's not hard to read the subtitles. The, you know, the dialogue doesn't go by very quick. It was just a fairly standard, very modern telling of a ghost story. Like I said, wasn't bad. It just wasn't great. I think a lot of the other ones were, were much better. And then I think that was probably another one of the disappointing things about this is the wraparound was just kind of uh, felt like a throw-in. You had the, the guy in the jacket lantern mass dropping off the VHS tape and then you got in between each of these stories a, a bit of the woman watching and then at the end the guy in the mask just shows up and slits her throat it very it didn't really feel like much of a story unlike all Hallows Eve 1 where the wraparound was a story you got to know these characters you get to care about the characters and it was actually very interesting you can tell this was a, a vision of Damien Leone's in all Hallows Eve 1 one in all hallows eve 2 it was just kind of a uh, mishmash of different directors and different stories and just kind of thrown together like i said i almost like all hallows eve 2 just because of the sheer volume of stories you get and i think it's it's a fun movie to throw on you could throw on both of these movies if you're having like some sort of party and you just want uh horror a little short horrors that you know people can pop into the living room watch a little bit and then go do whatever, bob for apples, play pin the ward on the witch's nose, whatever people do at Halloween parties these days. But ultimately, uh, two great horror anthologies in, in a long line. I mean, there's a lot of really good horror anthologies out there, especially ones that, that tie into Halloween. And I was very happy to see that Michael Doherty is uh, talking about doing a, a trick-or-treat sequel, which we should see. I, I'm thinking he's talking like 2025. So in like a couple years from now, we're probably going to get another trick-or-treat entry. He's also talking about doing, uh, or at least he's got ideas for a sequel to Krampus, which is one of my favorite holiday movies uh, because it blends Christmas and horror 
And if you can milk horror out of Christmas, I'm all for it. But uh, he's talking about ideas for a sequel to that. But uh, I can't wait to see what we get in a trick-or-treat sequel in a, in a couple years. So we've got that to look forward to. Now, speaking of Halloween parties, uh, you know, you can't have a party without music. And there was an album that came out on October 27th from a band that, you know, I am a rock and roller. I, I like my metal. I like my hair metal uh, from the 80s. I like, you know, just good alternative rock. Uh, I like rock and roll. And so this band is, I mean, they're rock and roll to a degree, uh, in a sense. I mean, they were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, which that doesn't mean much these days. But but these guys are, are a band that were more into the pop and funk and disco sound. Uh, they they wanted to, to play rock and roll, but they wanted rock and roll people could dance to. And they've always been a guilty pleasure band of mine. Any of my buddies that know the music that I listen to would probably snicker if I told them that I was a big fan of the band Duran Duran. I actually saw them with my wife at PPG Paints Arena in Pittsburgh here in early September, right around my wife and I's anniversary when we went to see them. And and they came out with a, a new album on October 27th called Dance Macabre. And the whole premise of this album was to do like an album that is essentially a Halloween party. And I was all about it. I was like, okay, I'm going to check this out because I like Duran Duran. They were going to do some re-recorded creepier versions of some of their classic songs they were going to do some some cover tunes and then they had some original songs and one of the things i really loved is that they were bringing back andrew taylor and warren cucarello their two former guitarists to come back and do some of the re-recorded stuff some of the new stuff so we're just going to go over like a real quick review of my thoughts on this album and whether you should check it out or not maybe throw it on for your halloween party if you've got one you know we're we're uh, dropping this episode, this Halloween special on Halloween. So if you've got a party coming up later on tonight, uh, you might want to throw this on Spotify. If you like, you know, party, dance, Halloween vibe stuff. We're going to talk about this album in kind of sections. And we're going to talk first about the new songs. Of course, uh, Black Moonlight, Dance Macabre, and Confessions in the Afterlife are the three new songs. Uh, Dance Macabre is, is a real good dance tune. It, it sounds like a fun Halloween. Halloween party. Black Moonlight is another one. It's got Nile Rogers on it. Confessions in the Afterlife is more of a, a slower, more ethereal kind of haunting sound. I, I like all three of these songs. Uh, probably of the three, Black Moonlight is my favorite of the three. Although Dance Macabre and Confessions in the Afterlife, I think are, are good, solid new tunes. Black Moonlight, not only did it feature Nile Rogers, it also featured Andy Taylor, I believe. Dance Macabre featured Warren Cugarello on that. Now, of the Duran Duran songs that they re-recorded, of course, Night Boat, Love Voodoo from the Wedding Album, Secret October 31st. is Secret October is a B-side off of one of the... Seven and the Ragged Tiger singles, I believe. And they, they re-recorded that. Added 31st to the title because October 31st. It's Halloween. There's another song they did, uh, Super Lonely Freak. It's kind of a, a mix of, they start out with Lonely in Your Nightmare off the Rio album and then go straight into Rick James's Super Freak, which is a crazy a crazy mix, but it, but it works. But of all of these re 
recorded, reimagined Duran Duran songs. And, and they took all of these songs and did kind of a, a spooky, haunting sound to them. A lot of it through Nick Rhodes' uh, work on the keyboards. Uh, but probably my favorite of them is Night Boat because Night Boat was already kind of a creepy song. And they did a video for that. I'm not sure exactly when they were out, but they were filming something and then they did this video for Nightboat. And it it's really kind of a, it's not a video you'll see on MTV, or at least you didn't back in the day. Uh, you can find it on YouTube. I might see if I can find a link to it and throw it on our Facebook page. But it's got like zombies and it, it's really, it's really a creepy video. And the fact that they made a very creepy song even creepier with uh, the aesthetics and the atmosphere uh, of the keyboards in it. Uh, probably my favorite re-recorded Duran Duran song. And the fact that they brought back Andy Taylor to re-record his guitar for it. I'm a huge Andy Taylor fan. And I, I miss the days when when all five guys were, were in Duran Duran. Now, they also did some other cover tunes. Not only did they cover uh, their own stuff, but they covered uh, some very well-known uh, artists, uh, Billie Eilish, uh, bury a friend. I'm not a big Billie Eilish fan. I always call her Billie Eilish. Uh, it, it just slips out. Uh, Billie Eilish. I'm not a big fan of her work, but I did like this Duran Duran cover. Uh, I thought Simon LeBond, you know, he actually sings the songs instead of mumbles the lyrics. So that was, that was fun. Uh, there's a Sarone song, Supernature, which it's a very disco song, the original one. This one is, it's got a disco vibe to it, but it feels a little more rock and roll. I like that cover. They did a cover of the specials, Ghost Town. They did a cover of my favorite Rolling Stones song, Paint It Black. I was really looking forward to this because I love Duran Duran. I love Paint It Black uh, from the Rolling Stones. And I thought all oh, of them doing a cover of this song is going to be perfect. But I, it's probably the one song that I was a little underwhelmed with. Uh, not that it was bad. I just wanted it to be a little closer to the original song. Like Simon LeBond, like condensed lyrics and changed up some lyrics or at least how things, the verbiage, how things are said. And I just wanted the song. I wanted the Rolling Stones song. I wanted a Duran Duran version of it. I didn't want it reworked the way they did. So that was a little disappointing. Super Freak, uh, a, a part of... Uh, super lonely freak with lonely in your nightmare. Uh, it wasn't bad. It, it was it was good. I, I mean, super freak. The keyboards and that uh, are very almost almost gothic, and so that lent to Nick Rhodes really going at it in the the keyboard section to to create a spookier atmosphere that was good. Probably my two favorite cover songs. Uh, they did a cover of Susie and the Banshees, Spellbound, which I thought was pretty good. But the one I loved the most was. Their cover of the Talking Heads Psycho Killer, which had Victoria DeAngelis on it. So uh, I, I really dug that. And all in all, like I said, not a bad song on this. There are some songs I like more than others, but every song is fun. Every song has kind of a, a spooky Halloween vibe to it. And they really accomplished what they set out to do and, and created a fun, quasi spooky album full of covers, new tunes covers of their own stuff, reimagined versions of their own stuff that all kind of had a spooky Halloween fun vibe to it that you could play at a Halloween party. And if you like music you can dance to, if you like pop music, if you like Duran Duran, uh, this is a great album to, to throw on during your Halloween party. I've been listening to this 
album off and on for the past few days now when I'm not listening to my Metalloween playlist that has all my favorite uh, Halloween metal tunes. So uh, check it out. If you you haven't already, check out Duran Duran's new album, Dance Macabre. Like I said, uh, if you're having a Halloween party later on tonight, this would be a great soundtrack to put on and, you know, get everybody out there boogieing and enjoying some creepy music, but creepy in a fun way. So there you have it. I see the bonfires are are dying low and the black cats are on the prowl as the owls screech. And it's time for us to wrap up our third annual Halloween special here at Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. I want to thank everyone for taking the time to listen to my thoughts on the new American Horror Stories uh, Huluween event, that special four-episode uh, Halloween event that they did. Uh, my thoughts on uh, a couple of my favorites, horror Halloween anthologies and All Hallows' Eve 1 and 2, and of course uh, my thoughts on the new Duran Duran album, Dance Macabre, a perfect album for this time of year if you if you dig that kind of music if you don't it might not be your cup of tea but want to thank everyone for listening to my thoughts hopefully you have a, a safe and happy halloween if you're out there partying uh please be safe and of course you can find out more that's going on with the podcast on our social media pages facebook and instagram we're always posting uh stuff about the podcast uh stuff about horror fantasy and science fiction and no matter where you're listening to this podcast please leave those reviews uh five stars will be awesome whatever review you leave we do appreciate that and as always no matter where you listen to this podcast like follow subscribe to it and share the podcast with anyone that you know that loves horror fantasy and science fiction now we've you know we've been focusing on horror throughout the month of october it's only right but we got a lot of cool stuff coming up in the world of science fiction as well we got dune part two that's coming out got some other shows that are wrapping up and a lot of movies uh coming out still some good horror uh we still haven't talked about chucky uh that season hasn't wrapped up just uh, as of yet so we're going to be talking about that when it comes out and we're going to be talking about loki when that season wraps up here in the next uh, week or two so uh, a lot to talk about in horror fantasy and science fiction to come and we thank you for for sticking with us throughout the year and wishing everyone a safe and happy halloween until next time Thank you for visiting Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. We hope that you found something to your liking and visit the shop again soon. But even though you may come back, you never really get to leave Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. Ha 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 ha!